My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to America. Other people, my friends, I'm just trying to save you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach, and put everything into context, even the tough stuff. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. How can you have conviction in a market that seems bent on shaking you out at all costs? Sell, sell, sell. Each day it fools you. And sometimes you get intraday fakeouts like we had this day. Dow finishing down 173 points after a roller coaster session. S&P losing 1.13%. And the Nasdaq tumbling 1.43%. Even as there were moments, there were moments where this market looked so good that we thought it could explode to the upside. Yeah, that's right. It looked that good. And then after the close, we got a gut punch. One of the ugliest pre-announcements I ever come across in all the years that I am visits. All the ages. A dramatic shortfall and earnings cut. That's, that's way too positive a way to put it. From FedEx. Which just at the end of June told us that things were doing pretty good. End of June. Things got bad that fast. Fortunately, we spoke to the new CEO, Raj Subramanian. And Raj can be with us in a few minutes. And you'll see that exclusive interview later in the show. Unfortunately, this was no ordinary pre-announcement. Pretty much every single week since that June meeting where they told you things were going well, things have gotten worse. Yes, every single week. Week after week after week. It started in Asia, where China has had no snapback whatsoever from the worst COVID days. In fact, things may be worse now than ever. It's like China just stopped. Then you go to Europe. And the war in Ukraine has sapped confidence and crushed pocketbooks as prices for heat and electricity are anywhere from three to ten times where they were a year ago. Who can afford that? Who can stay in business in those conditions? And then the one that I thought was most shattering, frankly, we got to the U.S. It's all FedEx. And while our country is definitely the best of the three, FedEx is telling us the story of slowing business while still positive. But business that is going very bad near the end of the last few weeks. E-commerce, yes, it's doing fine, but not as fine as we thought it would be. Now think of that. That's nothing anybody's thinking about. There are many companies that I can slough off as blaming the macro environment for their own problems. Excuse makers. Companies that use the worldwide economy as an alibi. FedEx is not one of them. Say what you want about this company. We know it pioneered much of what we regard as package delivery. And it got there a lot faster than it took competitor UPS. In other words, I believe FedEx when the CEO says the fault is in the stars, not themselves. An appropriation of Shakespeare that actually fits this time. Now, look, I know this isn't the FedEx show. But the fact that things are decelerating around the globe that fast is something that forces you to think that maybe the Fed is further along then it may realize it is in fighting wage inflation. FedEx, you see, is not the canary in the coal mine, for heaven's sake. It's the coal miner in the coal mine, which means if Jay Powell is watching, the Fed chief, I would say we are going to raise rates 0.75%, 
But then we must wait and see. Wait to see if what FedEx is saying about Asia, if what FedEx is saying about Europe, and what FedEx is now saying about e-commerce and business in this country is about to spread out of control. And if that's the case, why not just say 0.75% and then wait? And by the way, these people want 1%. I hope you're watching. You us all to give us an apology, will you? I mean, how could you be so wrong? Hey, look, I'm admitting I was wrong. I was more positive than this. I didn't think that this was going to be this bad. I actually gave a conference today at 12 o'clock, and I, I, I stick by everything I said because we're not buying any of these economic stocks, buying the stocks that do well in the bad economy. But I, I didn't know it was, I didn't know that FedEx was going to lower the boom. Now, the reaction you actually can be expected to have is one of panic. <laughs> if there's truly a slowing everywhere, why would you bother to own a stock? Why bother? Why not just get into that juicy 3.9% two-year treasury lovey blanket and go home? Which many of you by this point in the show are thinking, why don't I? Okay, all right. Let me give you three reasons. Why not to? First, this is Raj Subramanian's first quarter at the helm. It's his first. Now, look, he's obviously a total straight shooter. And uh, he, he, he cut numbers huge and pulled guidance. But it is the first quarter he's been in the shoot. And it, it pays to get the word out quickly. Now, this is not a kitchen sink thing. I mean, he went over this thing, as you will hear in the interview, uh, chapter verse. But I do think that you know, maybe some of the issues are going to be caused by his own company's execution. They could be doing some things wrong. Nothing's perfect. If Carol Tomei, the CEO of UPS, comes out tomorrow and says she has no idea what FedEx is talking about, business is booming everywhere, well, you might feel pretty darn foolish if you sold everything. I don't think that's going to be the case. UPS is going to be down big tomorrow. I don't want you to buy that one betting that UPS is that much better than FedEx. I am just saying that there are some man-made issues here, too. We can't totally dismiss that. Is it 70% macro, 30% man? I don't know. But let's not say everybody's perfect. Second, fortunately, the weaknesses that Raj described are indeed man-made. China's using bogus science to lock people up to avoid COVID. And this policy is crushing them. It's crushing them. But it is man-made. President Xi could wave a magic wand. And he has it. He has it in his back pocket. All he has to do is bring in Moderna, which is the company that we know is having one of the terrific vaccines, and say, okay, look, please do what you did to the United States. Make the vaccine here, though. Make me feel a little better. Make the vaccine here and make it so that the flu is more dangerous than COVID, which is something, by the way, that Humana said in its analyst meeting. That's right. The flu is hospitalizing more people in our country than COVID. Can you imagine if China just woke up, stopped their bogus Lysenko technology science that is crushing them and brought in Moderna and you sold everything tomorrow because of FedEx? Russia. Putin is the cause of the weakness in Europe, and he's increasingly being isolated. Did you catch anything of uh, some of the news reports about him meeting with President, Ch- President Xi from China? I don't think it looks that well for him. Uh, what, what did Xi basically say? Which is that, uh, yeah, I, I get it. I mean, that was the equivalent of what he said. I get it. Now, why does China care about Russia? Sure, it gets its cheap oil because of the war, but 25% of what it sells, it sells into Europe. And this war is hurting its customers. China is, in the end, a transactional country, and it would pay for higher oil if it meant more business. 
but it's not going to pay for lower oil if it means less business. She knows that Putin's losing the war. He calls it quits, and then FedEx won't matter. Yeah, but can you imagine? Putin stops the war. She says it's time to have the vaccine, and you've sold everything. Finally, it is entirely possible that we really are going to get wage inflation under control. When I listened to Raj Subramanian today, you know what I did? I said, wait a second. Maybe we're much further along in the fight against inflation. Maybe those people who are certain about their jobs or busy hopping from job to job should watch this interview coming up in a few minutes because I think you'd feel a lot less certain. And if you, by the way, have retired and thinking that your nest egg is going to get you through this, maybe you should feel a lot less certain. Maybe you should go back to work. We are still traveling. That's absolutely true. It's the traveling economy. But when you hear that China's falling off a cliff, remember that they make a ton of stuff that's headed here. And it sounds like sales aren't anywhere near as strong as we thought. That was another takeaway I had from this interview. Maybe the bears who insist that the Fed raise and raise and raise and raise don't know what they're talking about. Maybe the Fed is further along than we thought. So what happens now? The whole miserable sell-off has been guided by one darn piece of paper, the two-year treasury, which offers a safe haven and tremendous competition to stocks. I did want to come out here tonight and talk to you about how you should go buy some Apple because I've seen the new phone and the watch, and I think they're much better than the analysts think. I wanted to come out and remind you that there's plenty of the stock market that does well when companies like FedEx issues warnings. I wanted to say, look at healthcare, look at oil and gas, look at companies that have great sector. Look, go watch my speech today. Go watch my speech at noon today. It was filled with stocks that do well if FedEx does badly. But instead, let me just say this. Why don't you listen to the CEO? Let's let things sink in. And then let's accept that maybe, just maybe, the Fed will see that it is worth it to do 0.75 and then wait till next year even. It's worth it to see and bet that maybe Russia will get its act together. Or maybe she will call Moderna, say there'd be some resting for hope. Crazy? Crazy? Not as crazy as a market that seems to know one thing, the two-year. If it goes higher in yield, sell. If it goes lower, buy. Maybe tomorrow finally goes lower. Here's the bottom line. It is jarring to hear what FedEx has to say, and you are going to hear it in just a few minutes, believe me. But the good news, the problems are man-made. They're fixable. The bad news, most of us didn't know until tonight that we had this many problems and that they are all getting much worse, not better. Let's speak to Sundeep in New York. Sundeep. Hey there, Jim. How are you doing? I am doing well. Little Jard, how are you doing? You know, I'm all right. Uh, um, you know, good. You know, trying to trying to get through these uh, these market <laughs> these crazy market times. But you know, like with you by our side and trying to help us out, you know. We can't go wrong. Oh, thank so I, you. I really appreciate thank all the work you. Yeah, you're very kind. I'm trying to call it as straight as I can see it. No sugarcoat. No Pollyanna. Just trying to help people not lose money, make some money. How can I help you? All right. Uh, well, so um, I'm an investor in Twilio, and um, I really love the company. Um, I think the leadership's great. The future looks good. Um, I also like the fact, you know, I also think AI is the future as well. And I can imagine mm-hmm. like a smart customer service solution coming from them in the future that leverages that. Um, right. And 
Well, but like, San- Sandeep, let me just tell you something. Before you get too deep in this, Twilio's not making money. They just fired a lot of people. They're trying. They're doing their darn best. But until they make money, I do not want to recommend Twilio. I just can't. Now, it is jarring to hear what FedEx has to say, and you are going to hear every bit of it. The good news, all the problems are fixable. The bad news, most of us didn't know we had this many problems and that they are getting worse. Man, tonight, the search for clarity in the oil patch continues, so I'm checking in with energy expert and tellurium founder Sharif Suki. Get his take. Then, after the bell, we had a tough pre-announcement from FedEx. I'm running through all you need to know with the CL. And nurses love the scrubs, but is the stock worth loving for your portfolio? I'm checking in on things with the company's top brass. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Ever since Russia invaded Ukraine, Western Europe has been desperate to import our country's plentiful supplies of natural gas. You know, we have a 100-year supply here because they don't want to be hostage to Russia. Who can blame them? If the Ukrainians can't win by the time winter comes around, the demand's going to explode. Which brings me to Tellurian, one of the companies that's building a liquefied natural gas export terminal. Though these are huge capital-intensive facilities that take years to construct, the Europeans ought to help us here. If you wanted to get a read on this industry, nobody knows it better than Sharif Suki. He's the co-founder and executive chairman of Tellurian and the virtual inventor of LNG export in this country with his previous company, Chenier. But don't take it from me. Earlier today, we had a chance to sit down with Sharif. Take a look. Sharif, I'm so glad you're with us because this is one of the craziest moments I've ever seen, but nothing's crazy to you. We've had prices that are 10 times, 11 times, 12 times our natural gas in Europe. You run a company that could conceivably take care of that arbitrage. You have to wait a little bit to be able to do so. But why shouldn't we all just be buying Tellurian like we bought like we bought last time when you around when you told us to buy LNG? And I don't mean LNG, the commodity, I mean the symbol. Um, I, I think, Jim, we're sitting on the best arbitrage that I've ever seen in my career. And as you know, I've been waiting for it for a couple of years now. I saw it coming. Of course, I didn't expect uh, that Russia would invade the Ukraine and make matters much worse. But we're suffering from a chronic underinvestment in energy and in natural gas in particular that has happened over a decade. And we're now seeing the consequences with the world absolutely needing LNG and uh, America has having plenty of natural gas and the ability to build the infrastructure better than anybody. And we at Tulu in a very good position to take advantage of this. We have a clean balance sheet, a lot of cash, a lot of cash flow, and we're going to build uh, the, the terminal which we started uh, in April and we will be coming to the market at the time where the differential between American gas and global gas would be exceptional. All right, so when I first met you, Chenier was at eight bucks. You were losing fortunes. You had built an infrastructure that was meant for taking it in, not taking it out. No one believed in you whatsoever. Well, I'd like to think I did because I recommended your stock. Isn't Tellurian in better shape than when I saw you when you first met with me with Chenier? Well, let me think about that for a second, Jim. Uh, I had about uh, $700 million of debt that was coming due in three years. 
I had a business model that was completely busted because I wanted to import gas instead of exporting it. And all of a sudden, we had a fracking revolution that changed everything dramatically. So I would say I was pretty desperate at the time. And then you recognize that we had made the turn faster than almost anybody. And you recommended our stock at the time where most people were skeptical. And you know what the history ended up being. Uh, so here this time around, we're sitting on about a few hundred million dollars in cash. We have an upstream company that is going to make $500 million next year. And we started the construction uh, of a facility that will allow us, as you said, instead of making uh, $8 or $9 in the United States, making $50 or $60 on a global basis. Now, I don't expect that $50 or $60 to remain, but it will be north of 25 And we will be in excellent shape. Now, uh, you've got Bechtel again. I imagine that since we, we've seen each other personally, they figured out how to make these plants much faster. I know that you were the pioneer at that. I have to believe that we're not talking uh, multiple years out. We're talking about something coming from Florian with the bridge of the assets that you bought much sooner than when I saw you from when you were trying to do a chenier. I think it's still going to take a certain amount of time to build the infrastructure. We started in April. The soonest, the soonest realistically that we can start selling LNG will be sometime in the middle of 2026. So we don't want to promise things that cannot be done. We are going to have a massive construction project. Again, this is my third time around now uh, in the Gulf of Mexico. And we will have five to 7,000 people on the site working as fast as they can to get the project uh, off the ground as soon as possible. But it takes time to build these massive infrastructure. They don't happen over time. They require long-term planning and a lot of patience in order to get to where you need to go. I know so I don't think, well, it, I, I don't think there's going to be anything that comes faster. Fair enough. Now, when I spoke to you last, the war had just begun in Ukraine. I know it's dragged on longer than expected. It's driven up the price of natural gas. They have to be very scared in Europe that they've gotten a position where they were so hostage. Can you tell me if, uh, let's say you were, you could wave a wand. I mean, is there really any hope for Europe without a company like Tellurian and some of the other companies we have in our country? No, if I were a European, I would uh, very quickly say we need to put a loan guarantee project in place in order to let all these projects in the United States to happen as fast as possible. There's about 100 million tons uh, of LNG that has been permitted and, and that is in various phases of preparation. But the business model has been broken. So they're all looking for how do I finance this massive infrastructure? That 100 million ton will take $100 billion or more in order to get to completion. Um, and if the Europeans provided loan guarantees to all these projects, they will happen in four to five years instead of eight to 10. And uh, the Europeans will get their money back in less than a year because they're paying 50 and $60 in MFBTU. We can be their solution, but at the moment, the politicians are running around in circuits trying to figure out what to do. They've just announced that something like $250 billion of uh, subsidies for their consumers because the winter is going to be really ugly, but they haven't focused yet on the center of the problem, which is they don't have enough supply. Their demand has gone faster than their supply. Well, look, you're the answer. You've always been the answer. You know this stuff. Frankly, I have to tell you, I know you, you offered some stock at these prices, but I don't understand why people just don't buy your company as a call option on what's going on in Europe. Can't we just view it like that if we have to? 
Yes, it's a very simple option that is worth probably $20 in uh, an MMBTU. So for a project of like ours, uh, that is eventually going to be generating something like a TCF and a half of gas oh, that is going to Europe or to the rest of the world, this is an enormous uh, arbitrage. All right, well, I'm going to tell... The, the payback for the plan... This is, the this the is, payback for the about a year and a half. Well, look, this is what I'm going to emphasize to people, especially young people. It's just like Shanir Nate. No one believed me except for you. We believed in each other. And then it went over 25 times. I think you're going to do it again, Sharif Suki. I'm always so thrilled you're on the show. Sharif is the co-founder, executive chairman of Tellurian, whose stock went up more than any other stock other than Regeneron since we started this show 17 years ago. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Yeah, money back here. Coming up, does big news come in a small package? Kramer sits down with FedEx next. You know, things are rough when FedEx, one of my favorite companies, pulls their full year forecast and also pronounces what can only be called ugly results. Just a huge top and bottom line miss. They're getting hit by weakness in Asia and some problems in service in Europe. Ground business is struggling. FedEx Express pummeled. These numbers look dire. So now we have to figure out if they're company specific. Maybe they represent a broader problem for the global economy. Maybe it's an opportunity even. So let's take a closer look with the brand new CEO, Raj Subramanian. And Raj just got named uh, just a couple months ago and more importantly, had an analyst meeting at the end of June where the forecasts were much closer. So I got to know right from the get-go, what went wrong here? Well, well, Jim, first of all, thank you for having me on the show, and it's wonderful to see you again. Uh, of course, I'm very disappointed in, in the results that we just announced here. And, you know, the headline really is the macro situation that we're facing. If you, let me just walk through a little bit here sure. what we're seeing, yeah? So, firstly, in China and in Asia, the, after around June, the factories were shut because of COVID. So we expected that when the factories opened back up, that there will be a surge in sure. demand. I lived in Asia for several years, and that's what usually happened. Well, it did not happen. They, when the factories opened back up, the demand actually went down, and week over week over week, that came down. Europe, uh, you know, with, with the energy situation and inflation, the economy is quite weak. Now, we have some idiosyncratic issues that we face. You know, we just finished our integration with TNT recently. Right. And, you know, we had this new, uh, the enhanced hub operation from Charles de Gaulle Airport, and we had some teething troubles. Now, they're in the rear view mirror now, okay. but we, you know, that was more idiosyncratic to us, uh, but, you know, that was, that was the big problem. The U.S., the consumer, it's actually a nuanced story here. I mean, the uh, U.S. has been relatively, people think it's less impacted, but on the consumer side, the spending is relatively flat or down, and even today's report showed that. And within the consumer, though, they're spending more on services versus spending on goods, right? And even within the goods sector, there's an e-commerce reset that's going on. You know, prior to the pandemic, e-commerce represented about 16% of retail. At the peak, it was 22%, and now it's somewhere in the 19, 20%. So all those three things are negative to our business, and that's what we're saying at this point. Well, let's peel them back. Yeah. As an optimist, I'm not as perturbed about the last numbers because yeah. I think the economy has changed a bit. Sure. But you know people are going to immediately say, wait a second, and I know you're not an Amazon guy. Yeah. But that's made clear to me many times. Mm -hmm. But they're going to say that e-commerce is definitely, is definitely slow. People are going out more. 
To me, it's a very small, you know, uh, and Ryan told me this morning, Chandu said uh, from Adobe that it's, it's, it's still going pretty good. I'm not hearing that that's the real problem. No, no, I think all I'm saying is the reset. I'm, I, I, you, know, what I'm, you know, what I'm saying is on a secular basis, we're very optimistic on, okay. on e-commerce going forward. I mean, we think that it'll settle back down and then go back up again. It's just that we are in that settling process right now. All right, but look, I have to tell you, it's Asia's terrible. And I don't understand. Yeah, yeah. It's just terrible. Yeah. It's, this is China, for heaven's sake. I mean, yeah. this is a country that bounces back. Yeah. Uh, what is really going on there? Well, you know, Asia is the center of manufacturing in the world. Right. So when you see these things happen, I feel it's leading indicator of something, you know, more profound. And that's why, you know, we, we, know, it's, it's the, we feel the macro. We, you know, we are the bigger player in, in, in Asia. And so right. we, things hap- we see things happen before others do. And that's one that's got me really concerned as well, is what's happening in, in okay, Asia. Okay, because, you know, I'm trying to figure out, Canary, yeah. coal mine versus execution. Now, you could not yeah. have been happy. You said you're disappointed. Yes. You could not have been happy in your own execution. Now, you just started. Yeah. So I can't necessarily just say, how could you screw it up? Yeah. But there's some things wrong here. Well, you know, we, you know, we are 70 days into a three-year plan that we right. announced. So the actions we are taking is what's most important. I'm bound and determined that we use this crisis, we use this downturn, to come out of this with a stronger operating margin profile than we went in. So, you know, we're taking several cost actions, we're accelerating several cost actions, and this will, you know, enable us to get to those targets we've set in 25 in a slightly different way, but it's much more focused on improving our operating margin profile. So that's why you're still buying back shares, even though I would say given these problems and the, look, I mean, you're talking about a reduction your next quarter in what I thought you were going to make versus what you're making. Well, it says to me, don't buy back Well, uh, you know, don't we, buy back shares. Yeah, we are, you know, we are, we are reviewing all our cost actions right now. We're reducing our CapEx uh, quite significantly this year. And, you know, it's a, we think it's allocation of cap, ca, capital. Is, this is a good use but, of our capital. But 548 was the estimate yeah. for, uh, for second. You're going to think you're going to come in at 275? Well, you know. I mean, that, that's <laughs> got to be more than just Asia and service. No, no. Uh, we, are, we are seeing that the volume uh, decline in every segment around the world. And so, you know, which we started our second quarter. Uh, every, the weekly numbers are not, not looking so good. So we just, you know, we, we just assume at this point that the economic conditions are not going to be good. But it basically allows us then to fully, you know, go into cost management mode and, um, and take those actions that we can, we can then, you know, restructure uh, FedEx in a different way. Raj, are we going to a worldwide recession? Well, I'm not an economist, but, you know... Oh, I'll, you I'll, know more than economists. Come on. They, don't, uh, they just push papers. You actually look at papers. Well, I, 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 I think so. I, I, you think I, we are going I, to I, 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 I think so. But, you know, again, these, uh, these numbers don't portend very well. U.S. in the last few weeks is bad as China in the last few weeks? Yeah, yeah the, uh, the U.S. Uh, consumer uh, has, you know, definitely spending less. But, you know, the... U.S. has been somewhat insulated because the U.S. dollar is, uh, you know, is, a, is, is the currency of choice for the world, and there's some insulation there. But you know, I do see the U.S. is slowing down too. Well, the, the Fed's about to raise 0.75, maybe 1.0. That would be one of the dumbest things ever if FedEx is extrapolated. Uh, well, you know, I'm, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not the Fed chair, but inflating inflation is also very important. And so the balancing act, you know, in, in many ways, you said it. They're, they're catching up on that. Yes, they are yeah. catching up yeah. now on costs and issues. Uh, yeah. Some of these closure of 90 FedEx office locations, deferral of staff hiring. Yeah. Can some of these make it so you're not going to be able to deliver what we want on Christmas holiday? No, we are. We are very well set for the Christmas holiday. No, it's not a problem whatsoever. The biggest, you know, the airline airline is obviously the biggest cut cut with you know in the intercontinental flying. That's you know we have taken those we're taking the lift down as we speak. And then, you know, we, we are, um, you know, we're in the, we're, the Sunday service, 
we are reducing the scope of that, and then you know we're reducing our capital capex, and then some of those facilities we talked about. I thought you were done with service challenges in Europe. I thought that was complete. Yes, the integration the the integration is complete. Still uh, yeah, I think we it, it is now in the rearview mirror for us, and uh, in fact we now have a. Uh, for portfolio in Europe that's differentiated, and we are you know, going on the front foot despite the economy and the sales team is energized uh, trying to sell the portfolio that we have. Now, uh, were the things you discovered when you became CEO that were different, or was it just like the, from the beginning of when you, from the beginning of when yeah. you had that now ill-fated, I have to admit, uh, yeah. giant meeting, yeah. was it just down every single week? Yes. Uh, so, yes. Uh, they, yeah, the, the, the short answer to the question is that the volume trends have been declining week over week. We had a slight bump in July, but it was, it, it was ephemeral, and then it's been down. Uh, the, you know, the big pivot point in June for us was, you know, we have gained market position over many years, you know, and, you know, if you think about it, versus our direct-facing competition, um, in the turn of the century, we had a 69-point market share gap, and now that gap is almost single digits. Right. But this was a pivot point to now focus on improving our margins. Well, you know, that, that's the plan. It's still the plan. In fact, we just, you know, we're going to make sure that we're accelerating our, uh, to, to get to the plan. But now we have to deal with this economic environment, which is, you know, somewhat un, un, unprecedented. Uh, last thing I had to drill down on. Yeah. If I were President Xi yeah. of China, I would be incredibly frightened by the decline in my once great growth economy. Is it that bad? Well, I, I don't know about how the ch uh, Chinese economy in total, I can just tell you where the manufacturing sector and, um, it's a manufacturing uh, uh, and exports right now, I think it's driven by the U.S. consumer. I mean, it, you know, it, that, that, that's, that's, that's what is driving, you know, otherwise if the U.S. consumer picks back up, then the manufacturing will pick back up too. Is there any chance, I'm gonna give a totally optimistic way that sure. you've just ha decided to have a dramatic reset <laughs> and that people should say, you know what, down 15, 20 bucks, this is the chance. They're buying, I'm buying. Well, you know, no, I, I think, listen, I, I, you know, I can only read the tea leaves I'm seeing right now, and we are a reflection of everybody else's business, especially the high-value economy in the world. Positive, you're <laughs> I'm sorry, Jim. I know that's I'm sorry, shot. Jim. Maybe next I, time. I know you watch the show. Maybe but next what time. can I tell you? You are one darn straight shooter. I'll give you that, man. Thank you, Thank you Jim. You tell it like it is. Thank you. Okay, that's Raj Subramanian. He's the CEO of FedEx. And can I tell you something? He did not have to come on TV tonight. It wasn't his quarter, but he did Coming up, saving lives and looking good doing it. The company that's changing the way healthcare heroes suit up. Next. It's been an awful market for the fresh two minute IPOs that flooded the market last year. I've been telling that over and over again. I've been warning away from them uh, ever since the peak of last November. In nearly every case, that was the right call because the valuations had become absurd. It wasn't the company's fault. But what do we do now with uh, the more legitimate IPOs from the class of 2021 now that they've come down so dramatically? Take FIGS, F-I-G-S, a maker of healthcare apparel, think Scrubs, with a stock that's fallen from $50 at its peak last year to $10 today. I called this one out before because I thought it was too expensive. Well, we've taken our cue from TLC. We don't want no scrubs. Anyway, look, a little uh, more than a month ago, Figs reported a really solid quarter. Clean top and bottom line beat. Robust guidance. Crucially, the company's turning a profit. You know we like that. That's one reason why the stock jumped 7% the next day. Since then, the stock's become incredibly volatile, plunging in response to a scanty short report, then roaring back when billionaire Ron Barron of Tesla fame disclosed a $100 million investment. 
I think this one's worth another look, especially because management asked to tell their side of the story. You know, I'm always willing to listen in these situations. So let's take a closer look with Trina Spear. She's the co-founder and CEO of Figs, who joins us for the first time. Ms. Spear, welcome to Mad Money. Thank you so much for having me, Jim. All right, now, it's a very tough thing for a CEO to say, my stock's cheap or expensive, so we're going to avoid that. But we are going to talk about the size of the market and what it can mean. How big are the number of people who would wear something like Figs, and could it ever be mainstream apparel? <laughs> I mean, that's really not where we focus, right? Okay. I mean, prior to Figs, healthcare professionals were subjected to wearing boxy, big, you know, scrubs with the size on the back of the neck, and it was just really not a great product and not a great experience, you know, subjected to going to stores in the middle of nowhere to get their healthcare apparel to go to work and do their job. And so we really changed that. But it's a $79 billion global industry, $12 billion in the U.S. It's really big and it's growing really fast. Now, how do people buy your stuff? They go online? Where, how do they find you? Yeah, I mean, we're really the first direct-to-consumer company in the space, selling direct to healthcare professionals, the people actually buying their uniform to go to work. And so, uh, you know, almost 100% of our sales are online. Now, could you give me uh, a differentiator? A lot of people, you know, look, I checked this short report. I, mean, I think if I wanted to distill it, the market isn't that big, but also there's no moat. How do we describe Figs as a company that's any different from anybody else got clothes out there? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, at first and foremost, we're a product company. We really focus on innovation of product, you know, building products that are well-fitted and comfortable and technical uh, so that healthcare professionals can work a 16-hour shift. They're dedicating their lives to helping others and caring for patients, and they need a product that's going to serve them well. But in terms of competitive advantage, I mean, if you think about what we've done, right, we've built an authentic brand over the last 10 years, and that's really a hard thing to do, and that's really differentiated us from everyone else. Now, you did have some numbers this time. You have some inflation costs. Uh, you, you, I think, have navigated supply chain issues incredibly well. But the company does not have as much growth as it had even two, three years ago. Is that just because of the size of the market? Or is temporarily is the market uh, post-COVID uh, going down a bit? I mean, we've scaled to over half a billion in net revenue, right. right? I mean, we doubled the company over the last few years. We're looking to double the company again over the next three years. And we put out that billion-dollar target by 2025. And we feel confident in our ability to, you know, continue on to execute and get there. So we're really excited about the, how big this market is, how fast it's growing, and how we're going to continue to not only take share, but create the market, right? We've redefined the industry from start to finish, and now it's really about creating this market and you know, really expanding even beyond scrubs. And you saw that even in Q2, where you know, 15% of our sales are outside of scrubs, lifestyle items, where healthcare professionals are adding these other pieces to their cart. You know, why were you wearing a Patagonia North Face fleece? You should be wearing a Figs fleece because hospitals are freezing and you need a pocket for your stethoscope and your alcohol swabs and your keys and your money and everything that you're carrying around as a healthcare professional. Well, in that sense, I do remember going to uh, one of the first Lululemon stores. Yeah. It was yoga. Uh, and I said, ah, geez, I don't know how big the yoga market's going to be. Well, it turned out that I was thinking wrong. Uh, this could be, and it is talked about as a Lululemon for healthcare professionals. Yeah, I mean, I think that's right. And, you know, if you look at the S1, uh, Lululemon's S1, their TAM was $500 million. Right. Um, and so, you know. That's all it was when they started? Yeah, that's, that's what right. they said. That's right. Well, look, in terms of what's going on at the company, where I am always, you know, margins are 17.6%. That Lulu's margins are a lot more than that. I mean, how can you get your gross margins up? 
Yeah, I mean, so our gross margins are over 70%. Our uh, EBITDA margin in the second quarter was, you right. know, 18%. And so if you think about what we're doing, we're really pairing growth and profitability in a very sustainable way. And this isn't, you know, this didn't happen yesterday. We've been doing this for years. You know, if you think about actually how much money we've spent, we've spent only $10 million and generated over a billion dollars in net really revenue. That is great. That is pretty great. So, now, just, you know, I mean, what I was talking about, adjusted EBITDA margin was 17.6. Uh, and then the last thing is, I know that, uh, that Heather had been, Heather Hassan had been uh, named executive chair. A lot of people were very excited that you guys were co-CEOs. Why did you make the change? Because I, I know that people who are against your stock have somehow told me that this is uh, a terrible thing. <laughs> you know, it really is the right thing for us, right? This is a natural evolution in the you know, trajectory of the business. It's, a, it's giving us the ability for her to double down in innovation, the company to focus on product even more than we already have. And, you know, for us to have clear, defined roles and for me to run the day-to-day operations. And this is a really great evolution uh, for the company. Well, I'll tell you this. There's been about 500 IPOs, this PACs that came public in the time that you did. You're one of the two or three that's willing to come on. I like that. Thank you very much to, to Trina Spear, big CEO and co-founder. I think this is a real interesting company. Apparel's a tough space, but take a look at this one. Lulu, mm. that money's back in the break. Coming up, Kramer takes your calls, and the sky is the limit. It's a fast-fire lightning round, next. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski daddy, tell the lawyer. Because we might start with George in Arizona. George. Hi, Jim. Hey, I'm a long-term investor, and I've been following Mr. Warren Buffett lately. And uh, since he owns 20% of Occidental Petroleum, and he's just asked to buy another 30% of it, wouldn't that be a nice horse to ride, OXY? Well, I'll tell you, it would be, but it is the stock that's up the most in the last year. And I think that even though I think Warren Buffett is terrific, can't, I cannot recommend you the stock that's been up the most in the last year. It's just not right. Bob in Florida. Bob. Hey, Jim. I love your show. I try to watch it every day. Oh, uh, thank you, partner. What's going on? A, I want to ask you about a company with uh, innovative products, but a terrible chart. Universal display. Ticker symbol OLED. You know, I, I hear, you know, by the way, the chart is terrible, which is one of the reasons why it's not working. But how about this? How about when it gets its 24 times earnings? How about when it gets to, say, 18, 19 times earnings? Should you actually pull the trigger? Wait for that stock to come down, and it will come down. Let's go to John in California. John. Hey, Jim. Um, buy, sell, or hold new core. After yesterday's pre-announcement of that things were going bad, I have to tell you, well, I think you have to now wait till the 90s to buy Nucor. And you know Nucor is one of my absolute favorite names. Let's go to Bill in Virginia. Bill. Hey, how you doing, Jim? This is Bill. Um, I was wondering if you thought of Dow Chemical. All right, so Dow Chemical, the numbers have been cut, 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 cut. It's all the way back to 46. It yields 6%. I think you can go to as low as 7%. I wouldn't touch the stock till it gets to 42. Let's go to Jerry in North Carolina. Jerry. Ah, Jim. Uh, I would like to know about Devon Energy. Okay, Devon's run by a guy named Rick Moncrief. He was one of our speakers at our investing club conference. And, and I got to tell you, he told a great story. It's got a very big yield, but we have been skimming back a little bit. Why? It became too big a position. And I would tell you that if the stock were to come back down to, from 69 down to 60, I'd buy it again. But if it goes to 73, we will do some selling. How about we go to Paul in New York? Paul. 
Booyah, Jim. First time caller from Schenectady, New York, the birthplace of General Electric. That's My right. question is plug power, buy, sell, or hold. Okay, plug power is a play on hydrogen power. We actually are believers of hydrogen power when it comes to mad money, which is why we own the stock of Lindy, a very, very good industrial company that also does uh, hydrogen power, and that's the better way to play it. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, Kramer's got some thoughts on how to put a chip back on your shoulder. The CNBC Investing Club heard it first. Keep it here on Mad Money. Jim Kramer, the diehard of the dollar. Hey, Jimmy, love the show. My five-year-old grandson loves to watch your show. I have to thank you for making us money when it's there to be made. Our world is a better place with you in it. today I gave a talk to investing club members. Unlike most money managers, we lay it all out for you. The procedure is usually pretty straightforward. But this time I felt like I'd flip-flopped a little too fast. On Monday, I told David Faber it was worth buying a market that was being crushed by selling. And today I said you have to be very careful in this environment. You can buy stocks as long as they have little to no economic sensitivity, especially after what we heard from FedEx tonight. Unfortunately, the truth is I was too optimistic on Monday. We're back in a world of two markets. There's the market that's getting killed by the Fed and Everything else, China, Europe, including most of tech, by the way, and the market that does just fine in a slowdown. When you see a market-wide meltdown like we have Monday, it's the kind of sell-off that should have been limited to tech and the industrials, yet it took everything down. Let me put the current moment in context. For decades, we had limited growth in this country, especially on the industrial side of things. Sure, you'd have the occasional huge wave of tech activity, but away from that, manufacturing was a wasteland not to be touched especially since the Great Recession, we've had a stagnant economy where tech was the only consistent source of fabulous growth. So Wall Street fell in love with all sorts of hardware and software and fang. Then in the last few years, starting around 2018, briefly pausing when COVID first hit, and then going into overdrive near the end of 2020, we got a genuinely booming economy on our hands, and that boom spread everywhere. The industrials finally came back. They turned to be pretty good stocks. The boom included many tech names, like NVIDIA, like AMD, like Adobe, along with tons of others. But now that boom, that boom is over. It's getting busted as the Federal Reserve slams the brakes in the economy to stamp out inflation while Russia starts a murderous war and China has decided to cure COVID by stamping it out. Good luck with that. It's why vast swaths of the market have turned treacherous since last November. For example, we own AMD for the travel trust. It's grown to the point where it's now the dominant chip maker for personal computers. But PCs are sadly back to being a terrible business. Longtime Kramer fave NVIDIA developed these incredible chips for artificial intelligence and machine learning. But that business has slowed, and now this company is dismissed as merely a play on gaming and cryptocurrency mining, neither of which are in very good shape. While I think NVIDIA is not getting enough credit here, this is the kind of environment Wall Street shoots first, and then, well, it shoots again and again and again. Machine gun style. Oh, and needless to say, when you take a look at what's going on, well, I have to tell you, there are hundreds upon hundreds of stocks that were indeed in bull market mode a year ago. You heard one of them, Figs, today, right? 
But ever since the Fed declared war on inflation last November, they've gone into bear market mode, and that's where they'll stay for the foreseeable future. Buy now, pay later, point of sale, cheap insurance, software as a service. There's zero patience for any of those companies, especially if they're losing money. Hey, what is what just happened to a fantastic company, Adobe? They reported a good quarter this morning. Not great, but good. Announced a $20 billion acquisition that seems to be hated. Even though the stock's already been cut in half, it plunged at over 16% today. I would think the same deal would have been loved a year ago, and Adobe stock would have roared in response. However, for every stock that deserves to be blasted here, I am telling you, there's another that's merely collateral damage, and that's what we're fighting for the investing club. When it comes to the club, we try to focus on the ones that can do just fine, even when the Fed's tightening and FedEx is missing its numbers. The kind of boring old companies that thrive back in the days before tech became synonymous with growth. Boring and much safer than what most people want to own. All I can say is I wish I had been as specific to David on Monday as I was to club members today. But one's a few minutes and the other is an hour. Just enough time to explain and elucidate the two markets. One good, one bad. And never the twain shall meet. At least not until the Fed stops tightening. And it better stop tightening sooner than I knew just a few weeks ago. Or maybe, sorrily, we can follow in the footsteps, the awful footsteps of China and Europe. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. Yeah.